John chapter 20, from 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as a father has sent me, and I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks on his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands onto his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Bless those who are, those who have not seen and yet believed. The purpose of John's gospel. When Jesus performed, uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, LLC. It's good to be with you on this Sunday morning. I'm thankful for our set and our time of the worship set and also for the team's vulnerability. Thank you for sharing. But also, this as a team this morning, as a Sunday as we come together Sunday worship, that God is moving and at work, and we've got a moment to pray and just to slow down and to come and rest and just to be in the presence uh, of God. Um, th- this morning, I am preaching from John 20, uh, verse 19 to 31. I'm titling the sermon, Rewriting Stories. And I, I, I find it fascinating, the story of Jesus in terms of how he encounters people. And every time he encounters people, the story of people shift. Uh, it changes and it moves towards the better and moves towards uh, the image that God has created us in. And we get to understand who this God is and what it means to find fulfillment and to have hope and to have joy. Uh, so as, as we talk about uh, John 20 this morning, it is about rewriting stories and about how God rewrites not only the stories of the disciples and Thomas, uh, but really for all of us. That whatever it is that we're struggling with and whatever history we have or whatever it is we're wrestling with now, God is rewriting stories and, and 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 moving us more towards towards him uh, i also want to share on the other side of the country you might not know this uh but i was doing a bit of googling and, and searching and this is just you know part of what i do in in the week uh things that i read and maybe it doesn't interest you very much in terms of geology and geography i probably doesn't but i'm going to share it anyway uh, so in some sense like in the other side of the country there's a place uh by saint john's um River, which is in St. John's, New Brunswick, at the mouth of this river, there's a place called the Reversing Falls, and I'll show a picture of it here. Uh, why this is so fascinating? You're like, "Ooh, Doug, is this a river? Like, you know, 
Good for you. Uh, so in some sense, you're looking at this. And, and what, what's so interesting about it is that it's a series of rapids that's near the Bay of Fundy, which if you didn't know, and it's actually the greatest uh, tidal difference in the world. So the, you see the greatest tidal difference uh, in the world here in Vancouver. I think we have average of eight feet difference of the tide in the ocean. But here in the Bay of Fundy, it's 49 feet. Uh, and I'm not going to bore you with the geology uh, of why that happens, but you can read and see. But what happens every twice a, twice a day is that when the high tide comes and you're like, my mind is blown, just, you know, tides move like <laughs> you know, the twi twice a day, like just high and low tides twice a day uh, because of the moon uh, and the sun and the gravity. Anyway, don't worry about that. So in some sense, the tide comes in and what happens is that it's such a great uh, change in tide that it overwhelms this river where certain twice a day, the river actually reverses flow uh, because that's how much the, the ocean is pushing into this. And I'm not sure what else there is to see in New Brunswick. I would love to go, but this is definitely a point uh, of interest in, in tourism. And it, it's fascinating that twice a day that the river reverses flow, you can actually see it happen. And, and there's, a, a, there's a 20 minute period where there's a calmness before it reverses. And that's the only time that ships can sail through. Uh, during that time 20 minutes so I don't know what happens uh, if you miss that gap uh, terrible things happen I, I'm sure but I have 20 minutes to, to make it through there um, what was my point here well, well today as we're talking about rewriting stories we'll see how the, the, the presence of Jesus he, he reverses stories like he is that tidal wave that comes in and reverses the strongest of flows the strongest of patterns and anything that's happening in our life that 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 we feel like we've been swept away by this river. Jesus comes in like that tidal wave. His salvation's tide comes in and saves us and rescues us and reverses the story. And the greatest reversal that we saw was last week in Easter Sunday, where we saw the reversal of death to life, how Jesus took the cross, which is a symbol of pain and uh, pain and suffering and death, and, and reversed it into a symbol of hope for us symbol of life for us. And he's rewriting that uh, story in us too, every single day in what it is that we encounter. In fact, when Jesus emerges, the story re reverses. That's what we see in scripture. Whenever Jesus emerges into the situation, the story that we have, it reverses, it, it changes, it moves us towards, uh, towards uh, uh, the pattern that he has for us into a place of joy, into a place of life. And we see that in scripture today, and we encounter three segments of scripture that, um, that Sarah read for us. Uh, the first segment talks about the disciples, and the second is about Thomas, and then the third is really about all of us as, as followers of Jesus. And we see in the first set here, in verses 19 to 23, that the story of fear turns into a story of courage when, when Jesus appears. Uh, I find it interesting. Uh, it's uh, after the crucifixion uh, and and the death of Jesus, and he's buried, and they don't exactly know that Jesus has rose again because the story hasn't uh, got to them yet. Uh, they haven't heard about the story, but the disciples are locked away in fear. They're locked locked away in fear, and it's in this precise moment where they're locked behind closed doors and in fear that Jesus appears to them, and. It, and if, if you're reading the story here, what we notice is that the first thing that Jesus says isn't a, a message of condemnation. He's like, you foolish disciples or you fearful disciples or, you, you know, away with you. You know, he doesn't re rebuke them. He doesn't correct them for falling away. Uh, Jesus doesn't try to discipline them. What he says there is peace be with you. 
That's the first thing that he says here. It's quite the opposite of what they actually uh, deserve. And then Jesus shows them his, his, his hands and his sides and, and they all fall down and, and worship and they experience this peace and they understand who this Jesus is. So we see here that when Jesus appears, he turns his fear into the story of courage simply by his presence. And Jesus is gracious and the presence of Jesus brings peace in our lives. Uh, the disciples turn from fear to what do we read here? To being overjoyed, uh, to being overjoyed in verse 20. Uh, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Uh, when they saw Jesus in front of them, they were overjoyed. So they have this peace that Jesus gives them. Uh, they say, hey, because I rose from the dead and I have overcome death, you can have life too. So you have this peace with God. And because we have this peace with God, uh, we go with the peace of God there's a difference there that we have this peace uh, that we understand from God. But as we go, we have this peace of God as well. And no one can take away that peace. There's things in this world that fight for that peace, that steal our joy, that steal our attention, that tend to tell us that God is not good, uh, that he's not in control. But when we have this peace, we go with it and that God is our security. And before Jesus sends them out, uh, he sends them out. He says, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I, I am sending you. And, and then I, as he sends them out, before he sends them out, he does something kind of strange. Maybe as you're reading this text here, it says that uh, as he sent them out, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he goes and breathes on them and then says, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, time of COVID, you're, you're like, oh, that's, you know, that, that shouldn't happen. Uh, but... He, that's what he does. He comes in and breathes on them and he receives uh, the Holy Spirit. Kind of reflecting in Genesis, uh, you might remember how God breathed into Adam and gave him new life. Here Jesus breathes into the story of fear and turns into courage and, and, and turns this new life into these disciples. And they turn into life, back into life. They're encouraged and, and they turn from their fear into this uh, joy and this courage that they have, have, have in God. And I just want to make a quick note here that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he's not a taboo topic, all right? Like he's not a taboo topic. Uh, he's not an afterthought. He's not some estranged family member, you know, that we were, you know, that we're embarrassed by and sent away, banished into like, you know, some island. Um, I'm making that story up. I hope that doesn't actually happen. But like in some sense, like he's the Holy Spirit isn't isn't that he's God. He's the he's the third person of the of the Trinity, and 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 he's God, and he's here to guide us, and he's here to speak with us, and we need him, uh, because without him, uh, this is Jesus' point. Without him, we'll be doing everything on our own. We'll be depending on our own strength to turn fear into courage. We try to sum it up uh, our, our, ourselves, and gaining courage here. It's not about getting rid of fear. Jesus, what he does here, instead of getting rid of fear, he fills us. He fills us with his spirit. So it's not about taking away fear. The fear is still there. He fills us with someone greater, <laughs> overcomes the fear. And that namely is the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and because that, what, they're, what they're about to do, and, and uh, in Matthew, uh, in Gospel of Matthew, uh, we call it the Great Commission. He sends them to the corners of the earth, right, to proclaim and to baptize and to proclaim the good news. But here, this is a version of, of the Great uh, Commandment, uh, the Great Commission to send them to go. Uh, before he does this, he gives them uh, the power of the Spirit because what they're about to do, it can't be dependent upon their own courage. It can't be dependent upon their own strength. 
And here we see at the end here in verse 23 that is, uh, Jesus says, says this, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you get, forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It sounds a whole like whole lot like we have the power to forgive, which I think if we, um, I do admit that if we read this language, it does um, uh, provide some uh, complexities for us. But I think in the, in the original language, it does uh, lean more towards us understanding of how it's not about us having the power to forgive, but we have the power to proclaim the gospel of forgiveness. I'm going to repeat that. It's not about us forgiving. Like it sounds like that, but it's actually us. It's about us having the power to proclaim the gospel of forgiveness. Uh, so, so it makes sense here that as we go, we have the power to proclaim forgiveness, and in a way, those people will be forgiven because they've heard the gospel of forgiveness. So, therefore, they will be forgiven because they've heard of the gospel. But those that have not heard, they can't be forgiven because they have not heard of the gospel of of forgiveness, and they haven't heard about that. Um, or what, the, the gospel that, that that Jesus brings. And all of this, it can't be done without the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying. It can't be done without the Spirit. It can't be done with our own own strength. So next time, um, and there's a lot uh, that you're experiencing in this world right now. Next time you feel like you're experiencing something impossible, you're faced with something you can't do. That's actually the perfect position to receive the power of God. Uh, that's the perfect place for you, a perfect position for you to receive and to rely on the Spirit. You see, some of us live in fear, and we think that we can overcome our fears with our own strengths and with our own weaknesses. And I've tried that for a long time, but it doesn't exactly work because the problem really comes down to it's me. <laughs> and I can't summon up that, that, that courage. But the way to live in courage is to admit our weaknesses and to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we depend more on ourselves, instead of being more free, we actually become more enchained, uh, more en enchained and enslaved. And we dig ourselves deeper into a hole. And I, I want to speak, I take a moment to, to share a bit more about breath prayers, which uh, Amy Chu, uh, if you're part of our leadership, uh, small group leadership, she's taught that in our community learning and also to our, to our life groups. But I, I want to share this with us again, because I feel that practically this works a lot. We know the power of God. We know we're not to depend on our own strengths, but how do we actually do it? And breath prayers, just taking a moment to breathe and to pray and not to fill us again with anything, but to fill us with the power of God and to seek God really has helped to calm me, to give me this peace and to remind me that Jesus is here. How, how does it work here? I, I took this from uh, Instagram. Uh, Instagram. <laughs> uh, it's called Our, Our Daily Breath. is on the bottom left there if you want to check them out. But uh, whenever you, you have a moment where you're feeling anxious and you're feeling like you need some peace and you're feeling disconnected from God, just for you to take that one minute to pause. And as it says there, when you inhale, you says you, you pray, I am weary. And then as you exhale, you're praying, give me your rest. And that's the simplicity of that prayer in that moment that you're saying, Spirit, I need you. I can't do this on my own and I need you in my life. Or on the other side here, there's another uh, example. Inhale your will. And as you exhale, you say, be done. In those moments where you're finding it really hard to follow Jesus and you're just demanding this onto your soul, it's a way for your soul to catch their breath, your, your, soul, your soul to catch a breath. Because physically, we're bombarded with so many things. 
So I want to encourage you to try this next time. It's nothing hokey. There's nothing magical in it. It's not some deep spiritual, you know, exercise, but there is a moment for us to pause and to connect with God in our daily lives. And here Jesus shows up and he reverses the story. And here are these daily realignment moments where we're distracted by the world and we're saying in this moment, Jesus, we need you. We want you and we need you to speak. In, in verses uh, 24 to 28, we see, so we see how the disciples, uh, Jesus, in his presence, and he, he says, peace be still, turns from a, a story of fear, of them hiding in fear, to a story of courage. So they're sent out into the world. They don't care what's going to happen with them because they know their life is secure in God. Well, here it turns into Jesus speaking to Thomas, where the story of unbelief, Jesus reverses that story and turns it into a story of confidence, a story of confidence uh, in, in Christ. We read in verse 24 that Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, if you have um, a subtitle, like if you have a note on the bottom of your Bible, it says means twin. We don't know who he's a twin of uh, exactly, uh, but he might as well have been a twin of me and you uh, because we see him. Uh, and his doubts and his wrestling and his unbelief uh, in, in, in him and in, in us as well. Uh, but the disciples say, we come up to Jesus, I come up to Thomas and says that, and he says to Thomas in verse 25, uh, we have seen the Lord. So the other disciples come rushing up to Thomas and say, we have seen the Lord. And then Thomas says this, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's his response uh, to uh, to the disciples. So the disciples are all energetic and excited because of what they've seen. And Thomas is the party pooper and says, you know what, um, unless I see Jesus for myself, then you know I'm not, I will not believe. Uh, but what's fascinating is that where was Thomas? Right? Where, where was Thomas during that time when the disciples were hiding? Where was Thomas? I don't know. Maybe he was hiding out. He had a more secure bunker somewhere else and he was like you know what it can only fit one person so it's only going to be me or maybe he he, he forget it altogether or maybe he was just doing something else uh, i don't know but here's the here here's, here's my point that if he was with the other disciples he would have seen jesus already his cry his demand it would have been already met which is interesting and this reminds me and this encourages us this speaks to the importance of fellowship and this speaks to the importance of fellowship and community, that there seems to be a connection between our unbelief and our connection with the community. That, that there's a connection between our unbelief and our connection with a community and how Jesus uses community to reverse the story of unbelief and reverses the story of unbelief into a story of confidence, that together we remind each other, that we encourage each other. Uh, one sub-point here is that community, it does keep us grounded. A community keeps us grounded. This is especially true, especially true in Thomas's uh, stage and state here, that the more disappointed we are, the more discouraged we are, the more we actually need to be with each other. That we're not meant to isolate uh, ourselves from, from one another, but the, the more disappointed, the more discouraged we are, the more we need one another, the more we need to be in each other's presence, we need to seek each other, we need to pray for one another, we need to be with, with each other. But what besides a uh, community grounding us it's within community here that uh, the, the community helps us to see Jesus that community helps us to see Christ and see him at work because again Thomas could have personally already experienced Jesus 
but he had to wait. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't show up. It's because he wasn't there. And, and, and he missed out this opportunity of seeing Jesus at work. And I don't have time to share it. Just like John, how he ends this section of text. Like I don't have time to share of all the times Jesus has shown up in our church <laughs> or in my life. But we've witnessed it and we have seen it and we've seen it in community. So even though uh, Thomas, he's one of these, uh, the apostles, he's, he's seen Jesus healing and all his miracles, he's seen Jesus raise people back from the dead, but he will not believe. And that's really important. Uh, he will not believe, even though he has, he has seen. And here's the difference between unbelief and doubt. Unbelief is when we're wrestling with all the great, we feel overwhelmed by all the questions of the faith. Uh, all the questions of the faith, all the all the problems that our faith have, all the language in the Bible and us understanding what God is saying, uh, which a short plug why we have Alpha <laughs> to 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 understand and to talk about it. Uh, but but that so unbelief is being overwhelmed by our problems and the challenges of the faith. But but um, uh, but but uh, um, sorry, doubt is that doubt is when we're overwhelmed by by that. But unbelief is a matter of the will. Uh, unbelief is saying we will not believe even in light of the evidence even in light of how god is speaking even in light of what's going on around us like unbelief is i will not believe i choose not to believe as the language also is translated I, th there's a saying okay maybe i can put it this way there, there's a saying of i'll see it uh when i'll see it when i uh, I'll, I'll believe it when i see it right like that's kind of what most people say and it, it makes sense uh, but for christians uh, we can say confidently that I see it because I believe it. it. In fact, like I won't see it until I believe it. And that's the challenge here for, for Thomas. And some might say, some of you here that have taken stats and you're in the sciences and social sciences, you're like, well, isn't that confirmation bias? Like confirmation bias is just you interpret everything, right? Uh, um, you interpret in everything and all the data uh, as, as, as a point to confirm what you believe. So you're just confirming what you already believe and you're just caught up in this loop. But my pushback to that is, is it really confirmation bias when what we see and what we believe is reality? Like no one says it's confirmation bias. Like for example, if we see gravity and the effects and the evidence of gravity, can we really say every time I see an apple fall, that's this confirmation bias? Right? We're just looking to prove that there's gravity. So every time you see an apple fall, an object fall, or when I fall, which is often, <laughs> uh, that that's confirmation bias. You're just looking for evidence of gravity. So therefore you're confirming it. No, there's a reality. And in the same way for us, I think the thing is when we believe uh, we see things that we believe because what we believe in Christianity is true. Jesus, who he says he is in light of the resurrection, in light of Easter, in light of everything he has said and everything that he has done. And the thing is, we, we actually believe before we see all the time. Uh, we, we, believe, we, we believe before we see all the time because if we didn't, then life wouldn't happen. Uh, all of us wouldn't do anything at all, actually. Uh, what, what do I mean by that? Let, let, let's put it another way. Like, you know, when you talk to your friend and um, maybe you have this idea, you're like, you know what? Like, I want to make this career change. Or, you know what? I want to, you know, go traveling for six months on the other side of the planet. Or I, I want to uh, take this course. I want to learn this new skill. Or I want to, you know, do something crazy like go skydiving or, you know, 
something like that. And what what, what does your friend usually say? Uh, they might say you're crazy. Uh, don't don't do it. But they might also say, I can see it. Right? I can see you do it. Right? I, I can see you doing that. Like, and what do they mean by I can see you do that? It's like, well, I believe you can do that. I can imagine you doing that. I can see you doing that. That they believe and they see you doing it before you actually do it. Are you following? Are you tracking? Uh, so we actually believe before it happens, which dictates how we see a certain situation. So you see yourself writing a book before you write a book. Uh, you see yourself graduating with a degree or from a program before you apply for that school. You see yourself running a marathon or half marathon or 200 meters uh, before you you before you you actually run that uh, that that course. NASA could see a man on the moon before they sent a man on the moon. Uh, in fact, Werner von Braun, I found this amazing quote. He was the leading scientist in the early stages of the U.S. space program. He said this, uh, there has never been any great accomplishment in history without faith. Uh, that, in fact, there has never been any accomplishment because you have to see, you have to believe before something actually happens. Athletes, I don't know if Tokyo 2020, I, I don't know why they don't change it to 2021 uh, because it's happening this year. I don't know if it's still happening or not, but Olympic athletes, and they're practicing and they're training, they see it and they believe that they can compete before they actually make it and they do compete. You see yourself being part of God's plan of redemption and reconciliation work in the world before you see the world change. Or you see LLC flourishing for the kingdom and for God to use LLC in our church as a tool to impact change before we see any difference at all. You see yourself having peace and rest before you take the Sabbath. I see my son and my daughter growing into kind and generous and loving people before they become kind and loving and generous people. Do you see what I'm trying to say? That often we believe, we, what we believe impacts how we see the world before it actually does happen. But here's the problem. All right, all this sounds good, but all these examples and more start f because of a belief that we have. But the problem with these uh, examples that I've brought up is that it doesn't necessarily equate to the, uh, to, the, to the answer, to the goal, to what we believe. And why is it uh, that that happens? It's because, well, it depends on us. It depends on us. I will run a marathon. The problem is it's me. Like sometimes I might not make it because my body is broken and my knees hurt uh, and my back hurts, right? Like I am, I am part of that, that problem. And we fall into this trap of thinking the harder we try and the harder we believe, the more real our goals will be and the more real uh, these goals and these beliefs will become because the problem is it depends on us and people are flawed and people aren't fail proof. But how Jesus reverses the story of unbelief here, in, uh, of unbelief into one of confidence in Thomas's life is ultimately taking Thomas's eyes away from the situation, away from himself, and turning Thomas's eyes to Jesus. That's how the shift happens. That's how the the flood and the tide comes in, and changes the narrative, because all Thomas could see was disappointment. All Thomas would see was failure. All Thomas could see was his own strength and how he feels foolish 
for believing in, the, in this Jesus who he thought to be the Messiah and saw him crucified on the cross. All he could see was disappointment and tragedy. But Thomas, uh, but Jesus turns Thomas's eyes away from all of that and to Jesus uh, himself. And what's fascinating is that Thomas declares, he says that he needs to see Jesus, right? Like if I don't see his hands and his feet and I don't touch his side, then I will not believe. That's actually him proclaiming truth because he does need to see Jesus. He does need to, I don't know the attitude in which he's saying this in, but he does need to say Jesus. The only way Thomas could come out of his unbelief is not by running away from Jesus, it's actually turning his eyes towards Jesus. It's by believing and by seeing Jesus first. And it's been a week as we read in a text and who knows what Thomas was doing again, as I mentioned before. But even though the doors are locked, Jesus shows up. First to the disciples and then again to Thomas. And Jesus tells Thomas, if you want to see, here, see. See my hands, Thomas. And Jesus lets Thomas see and touch his wounds and tells him to stop doubting and believe or literally stop being faithless and have belief. That's the literal translation of that. Stop being faithless and, and, and have belief. And this leads to Thomas's great confession of my Lord and my God. Why does he confess that? It was perhaps in this moment that Thomas saw the most clearly in his life. He saw the most clearly. It was in this moment that everything Thomas believed that Jesus was and is, and what he saw now in Jesus was actually true. It was in this moment where the belief and what he saw and it matched up with reality and his experience with Jesus led him to this proclamation and his confession of my Lord and my God. And here, I think there's a call for us this morning. I'm not telling you, I think we get caught up in the cycle that, and I'm not telling you to believe harder, uh, to believe harder. Uh, the call for us today is to put our hope and our faith and our belief on the right person, not in ourselves. to try harder, to, to do better, and to put our hope in the right person, which is Jesus. And Christianity has never been about us and what we can do. It is and has always been about Jesus and what he can do and who he is. And when we believe in an us-centered gospel, we fail to see Jesus at work. We fail to see his miracles. We fail to see him. And we miss out on these God opportunities and these moments where God is acting. And Christians can say, I, I see it because I believe it. Because we believe in a Jesus who is who he says he is. He never fails. I might, I might fail. My body's broken. My life is sinful. I'm not fail-proof, but Jesus is fail-proof. Uh, Jesus never fails. He's always on time. He is who he says he is. He's always true. All things are possible with God, not with man. And God has been proving this all the time, all around us. And we believe in the Holy Spirit who fills us on the daily, who empowers us and counsels us. And here's perhaps the greatest point in all of this, that even in our darkest moments, even in our moments of unbelief, in our moments of, of fear, even when we try to lock ourselves away or think we ran so far away from God that he can't find us and we've siloed ourselves, even when we think we will not believe with all my strength, even when we say we will not believe, Jesus is saying he believes in you. He believes in you enough that he will show up. Even when we can't see Jesus, we can't see him at work, Jesus shows up 
and nothing can lock him out. And that's not a threat. That's a message of hope and joy of how far God is willing to go to save us and to give us new life. And I remember before I became a Christian, I had all these questions and all the questions were trying to disprove Christ and disprove the Bible and disprove Christianity as a whole. But the more I discovered and the more I learned and the more I wanted to see who this Jesus is for who he really is, the more I actually came to believe. The things I thought were true were turned and flipped upside down and Jesus came into my world and changed everything upside down and reversed the story. And ultimately, he comes into our lives because he wants to give us new life. He wants us to experience this life. In John 29 to 31, we read this. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus changes the stories of the story of the disciples from one of uh, uh, the story of, uh, of the disciple of fear into courage. And then Thomas from unbelief into having this confidence, this declaration of my Lord and my God. But for all of us, he's wanting to change our story of death and turning it into a story of life. A story of confidence and, and, and of experiencing life uh, in him. Because the narrative moves on to us. He, we notice here, because you have seen me, you have believed. But Jesus says, those that haven't seen me, blessed are those who haven't seen me, but yet they still believe. And it's fascinating here in his reply to Thomas, he doesn't say you believe because you have touched my wounds. He says you believe because you have seen. You have seen me and that's really important here. Because we too, you might be thinking, well, I can't be there 2000 years ago and to be there with Jesus and he's walking around and healing people. But the fact is we too can see as well. We too can see. No, not Jesus walking and ministering like the apostles did, but we can still see. John says here at the end in ver verse 30 and 31 that all of these have been recorded. Why? In verse 31, so that you may believe. You may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may what? Have life. You may have life in his name. That today he is giving us the power to believe, a faith to believe. He's still reversing the story of death in which all of us were heading for headed were, for those that don't know Jesus. And he's wanting to reverse that story. The tide of his love and his salvation is coming into our, our lives and he wants to change that story around. And what's fascinating is that this new life that he gives, we think is eternal life in terms of time. But the eternal life is not about quantity of time as much uh, as it is about quality. It's not about the quantity of living forever because I'm not sure if you know this, everyone and all our souls live forever. It's actually just the quality of it. We're all eternal beings. They're gonna live on eternally. But for those of us that know Jesus, it's the quality of the life of being with God in heaven, a place of no more tears and fears and joy and peace. And he's saying we can experience that now, that he's turning those moments of life, of death into moments of life right now for us to experience. So when those moments were, were down and out, he's saying we have the opportunity to experience this new life in him. So my final question for us is that, which one are you today? That's the big reflection question for us. Which one are you today? What story is God rewriting in you? What is he reversing? 
What are you believing God for today? Is it from fear to courage? Is it from, are you wrestling with unbelief and you want to move into confidence in Christ? Or are you feeling like every day as if it's, it is like death? Like every day you're like, how long, O oh Lord, as the psalmist prays. <laughs> and you're thinking that and you're needing God to reverse that story in you of death to life and to experience him today. And maybe you feel like you're trapped in the rapids of that river and your story is one of pain and suffering and sorrow and hurt. And there's so much death all around you and that's all you can see. Or maybe your story is one where you're defined by your depression, your anxiety, or your addiction. Or you're wrestling with your purpose and you feel trapped as if you can't do anything good and that you have no point to life and that there is no purpose for you. Or maybe you're just wondering if there's any point to life at all. Or me coming to church, does God speak? Does God care? Does any of this matter? But Jesus says, I have those who are set free are free indeed. And he has come to set us free. He has come to reverse the story, to rewrite the story, to change the tide in our lives. And maybe that's the reminder we need of today. Even before we see it, that is what he is already doing. I'm going to end with this picture here. I'm going to give you a moment here to look at it closely. What do you see? It's an illusion. But once you see it, you can't unsee it. That this is an illusion when we look at it that spells out Jesus. That when you see him at work, is in your life, you see him everywhere. But are we looking close enough? And we're seeing him working because he is. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that you are close to us. That in our moments of greatest fear, our moments of greatest unbelief, our moments of greatest doubt in you. In moments, Lord, where we experience death in life and pain and sorrow, that you are there. Just like the tide that comes every day, Lord, you are going into our lives and reversing our story and rewriting something new in us. And I pray that, God, for that over all of us, in our moments of wrestling, in our moments of pain and suffering, God, that we would see you, Jesus, in the way that we saw the last picture in that illusion, Sometimes there's so many things in the world that distract us from seeing you. So Lord, give us eyes of faith. Give us eyes to see you at work and give us the faith to believe that you are God and that you are our Lord. 